Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Well, hey everybody, good morning. Happy Easter. I'm Tim Jacobs, the lead pastor here at Compass Church. And wow, Dave's in a coat, I'm in a coat, and there must be something special happening today. Some of you guys only come here twice a year like, you wear a coat all the time, man. So, anyway, I'm just messing with you. But hey, listen, this morning, I have one thing to tell you and one thing alone, and that is this. You have got to get out of your shell. That's it. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what you do, the most important priority of your entire life, the thing that you need to be most concerned about is how in the world you are going to get out of your shell. Now, when I say get out of your shell, I do not mean that you need to become more extroverted or outgoing. You know, we do not need more obnoxious, extroverted people in the world. We already have enough. And if you don't believe me, just look at the current lineup of presidential candidates that we have. And you see that that area is taken care of just fine. No, I'm not asking you to become more talkative. What I am asking you to do is say that you have got to get out of your shell. What I mean by that is this, that you and I have a body that is rapidly deteriorating, perhaps has five or six decades shelf life at best, and that's if you don't get hit by a bus. And so you have got to figure out how to deal with this. Because you may feel like you're in the prime of your life, like your health is at its pinnacle, like there's nothing in the world that can stop you. But even if you are the healthiest, strongest, gluten-free, dairy-free, free-range, farm-fresh, farm-raised, vegan, vegetarian, homeopathic hippie on the planet, you are still going in the ground, and probably sooner than you would care to admit. That is the reality. And yet, our, in our culture, for some reason, we perpetuate the myth of immortality. And we quarantine the dying to hospitals and nursing homes where we can't see them. And we sanitize death with phrases like passed away or moved on. And we don't want to deal with the reality of it. And yet, for, I don't know about you, but for me, I feel like there's so much in me that wants to live and experience and know and understand and, and, and I've just so much life that, that is out, that my body cannot deal with. My, 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 this failing frame does not have the capacity to handle all the things that I wish that I could do and all the dreams and visions and stuff that I have. The other night I was at the Fall Out Boy concert with my son and it, the place was packed. It was over at that, it was U.S. Airways. Now it's Singing Stick or Talking Stick or whatever it is, that place. And uh, that's what they call it now. But the place was packed. And man, it was like, it was like loud and there was lights and, and it was crazy and screaming fans. And I was watching these guys on stage and it took me back to when I was 14 years old and I was first learning how to play the guitar. And, uh, you know, you start playing, you start getting good, and you start dreaming, like, I could play in front of people, maybe someday I could be a rock star, you know, and I'm, like, dreaming of playing in front of thousands of people and, and good-looking women, and, well, obviously, that didn't really happen. I mean, we have good-looking women here, 
but it's kind of not the same thing, right? I mean, you're not throwing your Bibles on stage and stuff. So it didn't really happen like that. But, but, but now, I, I mean, I'm lucky if I even could get five minutes in a week to play the guitar because of life, because of commitments, because of stuff. You got to make choices. And so if I ever, you know, this whole thing that, that God developed this little talent in me and this desire to, to play the guitar years ago, it's like I'm watching these guys on stage, and I'm like, man, if I ever wanted to ever even really be good again at the guitar, really good, it would take decades, and I don't have decades. So what becomes of, like, that piece of your life? You know what I mean? What becomes of, of that season or that desire or that part of you that would just love to be able to do something? Like, is that just, is that just, does it just completely get wasted away? That's not very efficient if you ask me. And yet the culture has no problem just saying, well, that's the way that it is. You only have a certain amount of time and then you're done and you got to make choices and just kind of passively accept this very finite amount of time and go quietly into the night, I suppose. And so as I said to you a minute ago, the most important thing that you can do, the utmost urgency that you have right here, right now, is to figure out with absolute certainty and clarity what becomes of you. What becomes of you when this shell finally falls apart? You've got to figure out how to get out of your shell or you will go down with it. It will prevent you from anything that you can experience in the plan of God. And so I want to answer two questions this morning. And then we'll let you get out of here and be with your family and your Easter eggs and your ham. Um, the two questions I want to answer is this. Number one, why do I need to get out of my shell? Why do I need to get out of this shell? Why do I need to figure out a way out of this? And number two, how do I get out of my shell? So two very simple questions that we'll ask. And so to help us answer these questions, we're going to look at the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Otherwise, we will have the words on the screen. But in this passage, Paul is talking about why we need to get out of our shell and the importance of it. And we will see it as it goes. And this is what he says in verse 1. He says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. Some people say naked. It's weird. That was weird to me. But I always think of that when I see that word. Sorry. Rabbit. Easter bunny. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So he says, for we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, that is our body, is destroyed, we have a building from God. So the answer to the first question, well, the first answer is, why, why, do, why do I need to get out of my shell? The first reason is because my shell and your shell is cracking. And so the tent refers to the body that we currently have. 
And the Apostle Paul, who actually, um, he was a missionary, but he moonlighted as a tent maker. So he was like, he knew how to make tents. And the thing about tents, and I don't know, there's, and there's probably a lot of you guys that are campers in here. I, I'm like a reluctant camper. I go once in a while, and I always remind myself, well, I don't really do it very much, because I don't know, I don't really, I'm not really into it as much as I wish that I was. But those of you guys that are into camping, you know, a tent's a great thing, right? Because it's versatile, it's lightweight, and you know, you can set it up really quick, and it protects you from, you know, all the stuff outside. And so, but the thing about tents is you, you pop those things up, and if you're camping for any period of time, after a little bit of exposure to the elements, like the wind and the rain, the tent tar- starts to sag, and it can kind of start to leak, right? And so Paul's saying the same thing that's true with the tent is true with us. Our bodies, as we get older, in case you haven't looked around, they can start to sag, and they can start to leak. And no matter what you do about it, you know, you can make little cosmetic changes, but it isn't hiding the reality that this thing is falling apart. I mean, have you noticed that? You can make little adjustments, but it's falling apart. And so you, you can do all these things, but the reality is, Paul says, now it's so funny because he says, if the earthly tent we are in, it's not a matter of if, it's just rhetorical. It's when it is destroyed, there's this amazing hope that the tent gets replaced with a building. In other words, a body that is very frail and fragile and subtle. I remember we used to go camping over in Blythe. We'd go on water ski, uh, water ski, uh, water ski on, the, on the Colorado River. And so we take like 80 high school students out every year. And I was in high school back then. And we had a little rule that if you were not out of your tent by 7 a.m., your tent was going down. And so we'd run around and we'd pull the stakes out and we'd collapse the tent while people were in it. And it was so much fun. But it's terrible for the person inside the tent. Have you ever been inside a tent when it collapses? It's like so awful because you, you can't figure out how to get out and all the dirt and everything and the tent's all over you. And it's just a terrible thing to do to somebody. But, but the reality is they're very fragile. And so this tent that is so fragile, Paul's saying the hope that we have, I mean the entire hope that we have is the fact that it can be replaced with a building that can never be broken down. And that is the, by the way, that's the entire hope of the Christian. That's what this whole thing is about, is that the more you see this thing failing and flailing and, and not able to keep up with all that you have inside of you, that there is a very clear and, and reliable hope that you have a building from God. And so the second reason, see, because what he says is this building is eternal in the heavens. That's very, very important, because that's the second reason why we got to get out of our shell. The first reason is because it's cracking, and the second reason is because we need a new shell fit for heaven. Because this body that you and I have is inappropriate and inadequate for the life that God has for us. Now, to illustrate this, I have a rope. Here he is. He's coming. Thanks, man. You're a man of many talents. See, you're a rock star playing guitar, and then you help out with my rope. So thank you. Now, this rope is that he's, and it's very long rope. We, I completely cleaned out Home Depot, by the way, on this rope. This rope um, he's going to spread out here represents your life, okay? All your experiences, way back to when you were a little kid, you remember like first, your first birthday party or the first time you went to Chuck E. Cheese or maybe Chuck E. Cheese wasn't invented when you were little, so maybe Disneyland, well, maybe Disneyland wasn't invented when you were little either, so... Maybe, maybe the, like electricity, you know? 
Like, wow, a light bulb. Um, and so you remember way back when you were a little kid, and then, you know, you grew up, and then you went to school a little bit, and, and you maybe had your first little crush on somebody, and then you graduated, hopefully, from school, and then you got a job or whatever. So all of the sum total experiences of your life, if you can think about are, can be represented in this timeline of the rope. But here's the rub. The, the, all the experiences that I'm talking about, if we look at this, can be placed inside this little tiny piece that of, of red at the very end of the rope. And if you're not dead yet, it, it's not even this entire um, red part because this represents your whole mortal life here on earth. This whole thing. And yet... If you think about it, and it's a, you can just feel free to grab that thing. And don't trip on it when we leave, by the way, please. Um, but here's the thing. Your whole life can be scrunched. All of your experiences can be scrunched into a space smaller than this little red um, little piece of tape here. And yet, this is the life that you have waiting for you. And by the way, this is not... This is. If you're a human being created in the image of God, that means God has placed eternity in your heart. That means there's nothing you can do. You will live... Lifetime after lifetime after lifetime after life, you will live this long, all the way back there, and coming all the way down here, all the way back, and then coming down this way, and all the way back out that back door. You can't even see the end of it. That's what you are headed for. Whether you spend it with God in heaven or you spend it apart from God in hell, you will live this long, and you've only lived this tiny little bit right here. And you can't. This body that we have is incapable of sustaining the life that God has planned for us. And this is so important because you, you're, you're alive, but you have not even begun to live. And so listen to what Paul says in verse 4. He says, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Now, this is what's so interesting. Not that we would be unclothed. So it's not that we don't want to be in a body. Like, you know, your body starts to hurt, and it doesn't work right, and like... You know, and you're like, man, it's not that you don't want to have a body at all and be, and like be a blob. No, it's that he says that we would be further clothed. Like, I just want a better body. You know what I mean? I don't want to like not have a body. I just want a better one. One that, that doesn't cause all this corruption in my soul. One that doesn't just cause me to, to do things that I know I shouldn't do. One that doesn't break down on me. One that doesn't just weigh on my soul and just like not work the way it's supposed to work. I just wish I had a better one. Isn't that what he's saying? See, that's what we want, so this was mortal may be swallowed up by life. And that's why it, it feels so wrong to, to be able to realize that there's all these things that we wish we could do, but we know we can't, and so we become cynical. It's funny, they did a study, millennials, and you know who you are, uh, the 30 and under, something like that, all the cool people. Um, you millennials, you guys, apparently, you believe in, in eternity, but a lot of you don't believe in God. That's what they're saying. So they still believe in an afterlife. They just don't believe in God. And, it's, but, you know, they're, like, kind of shocked by that. But it's, it's not really hard to understand because inside us, we know, we know that we were made for more. We just don't know exactly how it's supposed to work. But here's the problem. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 50, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So we got to get past this. We have to overcome this. And the reality is, and it's so funny, the people that are, and if you're a secular person here, I'm not trying to put you down at all. I'm just trying to be honest. Because Christians always take the rap of being narrow-minded, and, you know, you guys are narrow-minded, and you guys, you know, are just kind of closed-minded and all this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, really? I mean, a secular person basically subscribes to the belief that, that 
all of your, the sum total of your vision and your thoughts and your loves and your hopes and your dreams and the substance of what makes you and it makes you you. The substance of all that can be crammed into this little tiny thing. And I think that's completely narrow-minded. You're, you're telling me the sum total of my life is only to amount to this? When God made me for all of this, all of this, come on, all of this, God made me for that. I mean, you're going to tell me it's just a little bit. I'm going to call you narrow-minded. I'm going to call you completely closed-minded. I'm going to call you completely myopic and unimaginative. And really, it's an assault on the human soul. Was I not made for more than just these few terrible years on this planet? I mean, you have to think about it. Was I not made for more than that? You know you were. You know you were. And yet you're told that you're nothing, just like a regular other animal. But the problem is, is that you can't fit in heaven with this shell. You won't fit in. And C.S. Lewis illustrates this beautifully. The brilliant author and philosopher C.S. Lewis, he wrote a book called The Great Divorce. And in this story, there's this gray town. It's not really light and it's not really dark. It's just kind of bleak. And there's all these rather unfriendly, irritable people that are waiting in a line to board a bus because the bus is taking them on a tour of heaven. And they're not sure that they want to go. In fact, most of them really don't have any type of desire to go, but they've been kind of sold on the idea to go check it out. And so they take this bus and it kind of magically goes up into the sky and, and lands in what they call the high countries. And it's this beautiful place and obviously everybody on the bus is captivated by the beauty and the wonder of this place. And so they instantly want to get off the bus and they want to see all this place has to offer, but it doesn't take them very long to realize that it's, there's things that are really wrong with it. So the grass, for example, is the most beautiful, lush, gorgeous grass they've ever seen in their life, but when they step on it, the weight of the glory of the grass, it pierces their feet because their feet were not meant to, to handle something as simple as a blade of grass. Their, their bodies are too mortal, and they appear to other people in heaven. When they see these people coming off the bus, they appear as ghosts. They're, they're, trans, they're um, transparent. It's like they, don't, they lack substance. And so one of them who's kind of hobbling across the grass, and, and his feet are getting hurt by just the weight of the glory of the grass, goes over and tries to pick up these apples. And he tries to just gather a whole bunch because they're the most beautiful apples he's ever seen in his life, but he can't pick them up because they're so heavy. And so he tries to pick up a few less and a few less. And finally, he strains with all of his might to just pick one apple up. And how many times as he's picking up, it would just kind of go right through him and it would just fall back to the ground because he, his body does not possess the substance to be able to handle the glory of heaven. And so one of these characters who is completely annoyed by the... The, the fact of the beauty of heaven, but, but just how it doesn't feel good to him at all. He says this. He says, you can't eat the fruit, and you can't drink the water, and it takes all your time to walk on the grass. A human being couldn't live here. All that idea of staying is only an advertisement stunt. This person who's never been transformed who's never believed in the one who transforms, shows up as he is. And he's like, it's not for me. It's the most beautiful place I've ever seen, but take me back. I can't, I can't live here. I have kind of a strange sense of humor, so another way of illustrating this is um, you just wouldn't fit. You just wouldn't fit. In fact, your body would not fit. 
in heaven at all without it being transformed. So you think, well, I'm just going to go to heaven as I am. Um, and actually, you would actually look a lot like this picture that I found. Um, which of these is not like the other? Okay. Now, we laugh, but this individual, like it's the guy, that guy from Top Gun, the great philosopher who said that his ego is writing checks his body can't cash, right? This guy clearly does not belong up there on the stage with those guys. But I'm telling you, if you try to get into heaven without Jesus, that's going to be you. People are going to be like, dude, what is that guy doing here? He doesn't even fit. He does not belong with the rest of those guys at all. There's something seriously wrong with this character. Now we can get that picture off this screen because there's you know, some things you can't unsee now, I guess. But you won't fit. You can't. That guy with his little girly man shell, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And so now, if I, because God has so much planned for you, and this body can't handle it, do you believe that? If you believe that the sum total of your life is wrapped up in only what this body can, can, can provide for you, you are so sadly mistaken. So the second question is this. I've, I said, this is why I've got to get out. I've got to be able to find life that lasts beyond this, because this is falling apart, and God has this life prepared for me. I mean, look at this. I've only lived this, and I have all of this to go. Lifetime after lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. I haven't gotten to start. You haven't begun to live yet. You haven't even started to live yet. And so the second thing we have to deal with is, and how do I get out of my shell? And I could be cute, and I could be clever, but I'd rather be clear. And so the only thing I could say to you is this. I must follow Jesus if I want to get out of this shell, if I want to live beyond this. I must follow Jesus. And why? Because he's the only man who has ever successfully done it. He's the only man who paved the way, who showed the way, who provided the way, who makes the way for you and I to live beyond this life. And so when he was being crucified at his trial, right before he was crucified, they were bringing all these accusations against him. And when, you know, when, you get, when you've been accused of stuff, people trump up all kinds of things and they twist the truth. And one of them said this in the book of Mark. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. We just talked about something being made with hands, right? And in three days, I will build another not made with hands. Of course, he did say this. And of course, what they tried to get him on was the fact that he was going to destroy the temple in Jerusalem. Because as you know, they were hoping in, on Palm Sunday that he would be the, a political leader that would rescue them. Just like many of us right now are enthralled with political candidates or we're disgusted by them one or the other. But the reality is, for many of us, we're hoping that if this guy gets in, or if she gets in, or this guy gets in, that all of our problems will be solved, that America will, you know, be at its pinnacle again, and, and that, you know, we'll do this, and we'll do that, and then we're going to stick it to the man, and we're going to, you know, get all the stuff back that we lost, and all these different kinds of things. And so we're placing all of our hope in these people, and that attitude that much of our nation has now is amplified by 10, the attitude that the, that the, people, the Jewish people had around the time of Jesus, and they said, Jesus is our guy, and so we believe when he says these things, he's going to tear down the, the whole temple of Jerusalem, and he's going to rebuild it. We want to overthrow this corrupt system. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. That's not what I was referring to. I was not saying I would destroy the temple. I'm saying I will destroy this temple that is mortal, made with hands, produced the, by natural means, of course, supernatural as well, but that idea of a body that can die, and it will be replaced with another temple that cannot be destroyed. And that's exactly what happened. And he predicted that. Now, the thing is, when he rose from the dead, 
The body that he rose with was one that was not made with, with human hands. It's incorruptible. And that's the body that he shows us. And on every Easter, I love to read this because this is so important because it's not my words. It's scripture. And you guys have to hear this. I mean, if you believe in scripture, you've got to be able to camp on this. You've got to hear this. It's so important. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42. It says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. That's us. When we get to the end of that little red little tape on the rope, that's us. What is sown is perishable. That is the cracked shell that you and I have. We're all going into the ground, the tent. What is raised is imperishable. That is the building. It is sown in dishonor. So when you die, it's all nasty and gross and smelly and the body is like, ugh, it's gross. It's sown, goes in the ground that way, but it's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. That doesn't mean it's immaterial. It means one is mortal, one is immortal. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. As thus it is written, the first man, Adam, remember him, became a living being. The last Adam, who is Jesus, becomes a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. So we have a natural body first, body prone to death, but we then get a spiritual body because then it says the spiritual comes. Look at verse 47. For the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man, that's Jesus, is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those of those of heaven. So we have earth and we have heaven. And here's the kicker. I'm telling you, this is like the most important verse I mean, if you're thinking about getting another tattoo somewhere, I would say get this verse, okay? Because it's just that good. You can get it small, and you can do it in, like, Greek or something, so it's cool. But listen, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And that is, like, the biggest guarantee in the world because those of you who are not suffering physically right now and not facing certain death I promise you the time will come when you will and he says just in the same way that you got your mother's eyes and your father's ears and your grandmother's ornery attitude or whatever the case might be that you're made in the image of these individuals just in the same way those resemblance is clear, so you will resemble the incorruptible body of Jesus. That's it. And why? Because God loves you so much, and God created you to live this incredibly full and rich and eternal and mind-blowing, incomprehensible life that hasn't even started. So how do I get there? If you want to get out of your shell, you got to get to the end of yourself. You see, the harrowing part about this is it's not, we always say you believe in Jesus, you get eternal life. But here's the thing, it's not really true. You get eternal life no matter what. The issue is where are you going to spend that eternal life? That's the reality of it. So it's kind of, a, it's kind of misleading. The fact of the matter is, is there are some who will spend eternal, their eternal life, all the entire rope with God, and there are some who will spend it apart from God in a place called hell. And we don't like to talk about hell because it makes us uncomfortable and offends our sensibilities. But the challenge is this. Jesus talked about it all the time. And he said, you know, hell is a place of what they call weeping and gnashing of teeth. And weeping, obviously, is great sadness. Gnashing of teeth is interesting because gnashing of teeth implies regret. So, you know, when I go to a restaurant and 
when my wife gets the bacon guacamole burger and I get the salad, and I'm like, I should have got the burger. Like that. It's regret. I can't go back. I can't change. It's like, I should have, why did I not, why was I not more careful in my selection? And gnashing of teeth is the same thing in hell. Like, oh, I had all of this. I had all, and I wasted it. Why? I can't go back. You sit there and go, well, you can't go back. How many decisions have you made in your life that you can go back on? You can't go back on stuff. You can try to fix things. You can try to correct things. But you, you and I all know there's things you can't go back and turn it back. So if in your life here now there are decisions that have been made that you cannot go back on, you cannot reverse them, what's done is done, why do you think you would be any different in eternity? And there is an eternal sense of regret on what was missed out on. Because you didn't believe, you thought that God was old and crusty and boring. And you thought that being away from him would be no big deal. You thought that, that you'd still be in a place with flowers and trees and pretty girls and cool music. And all those things are good. And the Bible says everything that's good comes from God. And you didn't hear that part. So you thought you could have goodness apart from God? You can't. And so you have to get to the end of yourself. You see, you cannot share in the life of Jesus until you first share in the death of Jesus. And what that means is you can't get to Sunday until you get through Friday. And Friday means Jesus died and I have to die with him. And what does that mean? That means that my old life, my life of sin, my current cracked, broken, sinful, ugly shell has got to be placed on the shoulders of Jesus and go down with him on Friday just like he went down and into that grave, and then I can be raised up to new life. Folks, you got to get to the end of yourself. And this is just amazing. You know, the other day I was at a prayer breakfast over at the wigwam with all these pastors and, and you know, community leaders, and, and um, Congressman Trent Franks got up to speak. And he acknowledged the fact that his um, ilk is not very well respected right now in the world, and he made that clear, and, and he understood that. But it was amazing to hear him speak because at one point he said to everybody, he said, you guys, we as people, we have no idea how truly sinful we really are. And you think about that for a, a sitting congressman to say that publicly when all these guys want to do is spin everything with some twist of self-righteousness and victimization and blame game and it's not my fault and here's all the things that I did and blah, 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 blah. This guy stands up and says, we have no idea how truly sinful we really are. And forgetting politics for a second, just the fact that a congressman said that, and it was so true, and it is so true. And so today, what I want to challenge you to do, because I, 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 unless you believe you weren't made for much, and if that's cool, it's cool on college campuses. It's cool on college campuses for young people to walk around and say, all we are is dust in the wind or whatever, rehashed in a million different ways. And, and, and you know what I mean? And, and just written different ways and in different expressions to walk around and go, yeah, this life is it. And if you think there's anything after this, you're stupid. Well, that's fine. But if you're like me and you go, I think I was made for more. You've got to, get, you've got to figure out a way to overcome this dying shell. And that's what Easter is all about. And so today I just want to offer you the opportunity to be able to do that. And to be able to say... I'm offering, like, what do I have to offer God? Well, not much. But you know what you can offer him? You can offer him 
your broken shell. And say, God, take this. Take this and my sin and my shame and my regret and the thing I did last week and the thing I did last night and the stuff I wish I'd have done five years ago and this other thing that no one knows about. I'm, I'm getting rid of all my self-righteousness. I'm getting rid of all my blame game. I'm going to stop walking around like a victim. My problems are because of me. And I, and I need to start by handing my life over to Jesus. You cannot follow him in his life until you first follow him in his death, which means you've got to put to death, as the Bible says, everything in your sinful nature. And you start by handing that over to Jesus and letting him take all that blame. And then you walk free. I'm going to have our worship team come out, and they're going to play a song. And as they do, I want to, I'm going to pray in just a moment. I'm going to give those of you, because I think there's many people here today who, you know, you, you come to church, and it's kind of, you know, like, yeah, I believe. But as I said before, more important than your job or your responsibility, more important than anything in your life. Think about it, more important than anything in your life. You know, I read a story about this this morning. I read a story about a guy who got in a car crash. And, and they put him on a helicopter to, to medevac him to a hospital, and the helicopter crashed, and he died. I mean, you talk about the, the, the fragility of life. Like, where are all the people that were here in your life 10, 15 years ago? Where are they? You ever think about that? Like, what happened to that person? What happened? Just gone, 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 gone. Gary Shandling died. This guy died. This person died. This where, the bomb goes off at the Brussels airport. Just, that's the norm. That's the norm. That's just like what happens. We're lucky that we went and made it through another week, quite frankly. So I'm, I'm, I'm basically trying to present to you the reality. This is the reality, guys. And so I want to give you an opportunity today to seize this. To seize this. Don't get this wrong. Don't spend all of this gnashing your teeth. Come to Jesus. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. And then we're going to sing this song. And, you know, like I said before, I was at a concert the other night, and it was amazing to me the power which people can sing. And nothing against any of the bands. They were great bands, very good performers. But, you know, the lyrics can kind of be kind of inane sometimes. Like, I don't know what we're singing about. But, but we're singing with passion. Here we know exactly what we're singing about. Sometimes we don't sing with passion. And so on this Resurrection Sunday, sing with passion. And some of us sing for the very first time because you've been redeemed. I'm going to take you through that right now. Let's go ahead. Every person, bow your head and close your eyes. And just repeat this simple prayer with me. If today you are ready to trade the cracked, crappy shell for new life, for forgiveness, for freedom. If you're ready for that today, just say this prayer in your heart along with me. God, I'm at the end of myself. No more games today. No more saying I believe in you. I know you exist and living like you don't. Today, I'm asking you to take my broken shell and my sin and my shame. And I'm asking that that all dies on the cross. And I'm declaring today that I am following you. That you are my boss. That you're my captain. You're my God. And I believe wholeheartedly 
you have made me to live forever. I have not even begun to live. And so I praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. It's all about Jesus. All about Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.